something that I've been doing is even kind of laying something out theologically the past, it feels like several weeks where I've talked about what it looks like, you know, John, the one who, who coins himself the beloved of God, the disciple Jesus loves, comes and he, reads, he, he writes John 1, and it's, I wouldn't say a polemic, but it is, it is basically parallels Genesis 1, right? And so if you've, you've, you've been here and you've, you've seen that and you see that really laid out, I don't want to do that again, or if you're on the podcast. Um, also, Hebrews 1 does the same thing. The mysterious writer of Hebrews does the exact same thing and lays out the reality that Jesus actually is God and he's the creator. He's not little g, necessarily. He's actually big G. He's God, the, the, the manifestation of the, of the Godhead embodied. And and I actually read First John 1 this morning, portions of it, because it kind of went with what we were going with, but um, in First John, John actually does the same thing. And he literally starts off First John 1, maybe I'll read the few verses, and he says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we've looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifested and we've seen it. And we testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. And here it is, the, the parallel of Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the Creator. And He spoke, let there be light. And He divided light from darkness. And then John 1 and also Hebrews, but in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was also God. You know, His life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness does not perceive it, comprehend it, or overcome it. So in 1 John 1, we have something very similar, that which was from the beginning. Here is another commentary on Genesis, on the reality of who Jesus truly is, that which we have heard. And he's testifying as an apostle, somebody that walked with him, that which we have seen with our eyes, looked upon, and touched with our hands, like we touched this guy. We were friends with him, we were around him. The life of God was made manifest, embodied in a person named Jesus. We've seen it, we've testified, we've proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father. In the beginning was the Word and was, word, was with God and the Word was God. He was with God in the very beginning. That which we have seen and that which we have heard, we, we proclaim also to you that you too may have fellowship with us. And he's not talking about simply with us the apostles or the Christians, with all of us, the family of which you come from. You may have fellowship. That word fellowship is a Christianese. Oh, we're going to have some good fellowship at the potluck after dinner today. You know what I mean? It's just a word we throw around, but it means koinonia. It's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's communion, really. That's the same word. It's the word that means there's a connection that is so real that in order to separate, it would cause a tearing because they, come, because they become one. That's what fellowship means. And we can still kick it around in Christianese if you guys still like to do that. But it, it means something very, very much more than that, you know. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim that you may have fellowship with us. And indeed our fellowship was with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. He's saying it's not just with us, he's talking about the family of which you came from. Jesus, whom you were in, Ephesians 1 says, before the foundations of the earth. Everything, and I like that, what they sang about today, it seemed like, there was so much that was about connection. You know? And connection is just a word we, we, sim we seem to use a lot, 
but it's something that was so incredibly accomplished in the new covenant. This, what man was never really separate from God. Sin doesn't separate you from God. David said that in Psalm 139, but, but he was, as in Colossians 1, it says he was alienated and separate in his mind from God. You know, there was this mental separation because of the poison of the fall that we were alienated and enemies in our mind is what it says in Colossians. And so Jesus comes and he literally pays for the reversal of all things, releases the true forgiveness of the Father of God, of God to his kids, you know what I'm saying, this, this restoration, and the veil of the curtain, which we'll probably talk more about because Yom Kippur is coming up here in a few days, but it's like the veil which separated the realms, which separated the holiest place in the temple and in the tabernacle, was ripped from top to bottom as soon as Jesus breathed his last breath. This, this Jesus destroyed that which was implemented to cause separation. And now we have this connection that John is writing about us as a body. He says, this is, in, in, in 1 John 1, 5, this is the message we've heard from him and, and proclaimed to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. I love the consistency, you know, of Genesis 1. He saw the light was good and he separated the light from the darkness. There's a misconception of a bipolar view of who God is, that he's sometimes this way and sometimes that. And John is coming even in this book and saying, no, 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 no. God separates the light. That, that which is God is light. He's all light and he's altogether good and lovely. John 1, like the light shines and the darkness does not comprehend it. There's a separation that there is meant to happen for Christianity, for Christians to see God as he truly is and understand how welcome they are to engage with him, to connect with him. He's on the inside. This is the message we, we've heard and pro proclaimed to you, that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. There's no variance. There's no shadow. He is all one way. If we say we have fellowship, this koinonia, this connection with him, while we still walk in darkness, we're lying and we're not practicing the truth. That means practicing. There's discipline in this walk. There's practicality to the growth of spiritual maturity. Those who are, as Romans 8 says, all of creation is groaning and longing for to be revealed but it's the huios, it's the sons of God to be revealed. These people that are walking in such a level of maturity that they, have, they are the agents or like the sheriffs, the deputies of, of light, and they implement the reversal of the fall in all of creation. This is not Star Wars, Lord of the Rings, or X-Men. This is actually Christianity at its core. And this is you and me, you know, what we're called to release. Let there be light. Then there's verse 7. Now, when we first started the Hoff, this was the scripture that came to my heart that I, that I held to as like our, one of our core, it was like our, our first core like deal that we were, we were about. It says, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. That word again, fellowship, that connectivity of communion, that koinonia, that, that there's such a closeness, there's such a transparency and a vulnerability between the true body of God that they hold each other accountable to this light. And accountable and accountability is kind of like a scary word, you know, because it's been used to abuse people. It's like, I'm holding you accountable. Have you read your four chapters today, brother? You know what I mean? Did you watch any radar movies? You know, but accountability, it means, is to hold people to the standard of who they truly are as the champions of the light of God. Amen. You know what I mean? It's a beautiful thing. It's not an abusive and controlling thing. What it's 
often been made to be. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And I remember reading that, that scripture. It's like, wait a second. So you're telling me we have fellowship with God and his body and his people and it causes growth and blood flow between them because there's this koinonia, this, this unity. And then the blood of his son cleanses us from sins. It's like, wait a second, I thought we were forgiven from sins. I thought that was done away with at the cross, you know? And it fully is. This isn't an asterisk. This isn't a little catchphrase. Hey, you're forgiven, but now you've got to link up some, you know, join the Christian club or whatever. But what he's talking about is people that walk in this level of accountability and function and light with one another, it doesn't say that they're, they're forgiven from sin. It says the blood of Jesus actually cleanses sin from their lineage. Like that's, it, it cleanses them from sin. It purges sin. Every single thing that came in through the fall in Adam and Eve and, and the transgression, every single dark thing that was not in Eden before the fruit of the tree of religion, knowledge of good and evil, the rules and regulations, everything that wasn't there then is not our inheritance to inherit now. And Jesus has actually come and he's reversed the whole game for us. And he severed us from the lineage of Adam. Colossians also says that. It says everything you once were in Adam, in other words, everything you inherited that you didn't inherit from God, that came from the experiences of this life or the way you were raised or the abuses you've experienced, every bit of that inheritance that's become your identity, he's actually severed from you. And now we can walk. That's what communion is. That's what fellowship is. That's what actually taking communion is, is this reminder the Apostle Paul's taking communion and, and saying, hey, in, in 1 Corinthians 11, like, when you do this, don't do it in an irreverent manner because some have actually passed away. Some are, some are sick, some are weak, and some die. You know, we've always been taught, like, you know, when you take communion, make sure you, you do business with God because you might die. Some people die. You know, I've heard that dozens of times, right? And it's, it's hilarious now looking back, but it's terrible. He's saying, like, hey, this religion is separate from, the, from everything that comes through the fall. And we can walk in a discipline where this, the fall itself is purged from our actual vessel. We're so full of light. So he's talking about this ritual, the one we have of Christianity, the bread and the wine, the communion, of like, hey, listen, understand that this, the body was broken to release you from the punishment of sin that came through the fall. The blood is the, is the forgiveness of God, but it's the cleansing of the new covenant. Like, you are not who you once were. Do this often in remembrance of me. Take this upon yourself, upon your mind, and let your mind be unplugged from the plastic world of this system and walk in the fullness that God's actually paid for you to walk in. Yeah, this is the reality. I'll tell you something. This is probably strange, but I think it was like Monday or Tuesday. Yeah, strange is like normal now, but you know, it's like... I think it was like Monday or Tuesday. You ever have one of those dreams at night that's like a run-on dream and you keep waking up from it and you go back into it? Yeah, me neither. But I did this week. No, yeah. So yeah, I do. Yes. So this happened, I think it was Monday or Tuesday night. And I kept having this dream about like divine health and like being completely made whole, all the stuff we talk about. But I would wake up and I'd be like, man, I was like, of course, that's just so simple. That's a profound way to put that. That's so simple. As if someone was teaching it to me. And then I'd go back to sleep. Then I'd wake up a couple hours later and like, 
oh yeah, man, that's so profound. That's so simple, yeah, so profound. And, you know, and then finally when I did wake up at 6.30 or whatever, 6.15, whatever it was in the morning, and I remembered all the, but I could not remember at all what the analogy was of the dream. I just, you know, I was like, oh, you know, what is this, you know? And it's so ridiculous, but I knew, but what, what was imprinted on my heart, which is what I preach all the time, was the simplicity of like real, true New Testament Christianity. And there's something the Apostle Paul said, the one who's actually talking about taking communion in this way, and how profound it's actually, it actually is. But in 2 Corinthians 11, 3, he says, I fear lest someone as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Yeah. It's like, hey, like his worry was people getting too woke and getting, having so much understanding and going back into religious works. His fear was the way the serpent deceived Eve, which we understand this. We've read Genesis. You read three chapters and you've got this, you basically got the, the serpent says, what did he say? He was in the, the, the fruit or, or the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He says, eat, eat of this fruit that's forbidden. Taste it and it's going to enlighten you. Eve says, no, 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 we're not supposed to eat of that. You know, God says we're surely going to die if we eat that. And he's like, he, he, he instantly throws shade on what God said. Ah, oh, he's trying to hold something back from you. He just knows that if you eat this fruit, then you'll be like God and you'll know good from evil. So there was this, sim this simple deception that happened to where humans who were created in the image of God were tempted to do something in order to be like God. Eat this and then you'll be like God, which we know the right answer is like, yo, we, we're the ones that are like God, man. We're made in his image. We're his kids, you know. But there was something for that knowledge of good and evil. There was something for that lust of judgment and, and knowledge in order to judge and to feel empowered. And this confusion on who God is. And so she was deceived. And so here's the apostle Paul saying, I fear lest how is the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your mind could be corrupted from how simple this thing actually is. It's like, hey, it's simple. You're in his image. He's paid for you to actually step back into who you truly are. And now... You're the vessels of his spirit. You've been immersed into his life and now you live his life, right? It's like, we think of like baptism, it's like, yeah, well, it's, it's, well, yeah, it's washing sins off. You know what I'm saying? Well, yeah, there's, there's the, you know, John's baptism, there's a the remission of sins and, and having a change of mind. But baptism wasn't a washing of sin and it still isn't. Baptism is like death. It is a burial. You know what I mean? It's like Galatians 2.20. That's a, one of our big scriptures uh, you know, in the world today. It's like, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer me who that, that lives. Like the old me, everything I once was in Adam, everything that I inherited in the lineage of the fall, even being susceptible to the, to the darkness that comes through it, the depression, the fear, the anxiety, the sickness, whatever it is, those things are no longer my inheritance. I'm not to be compatible with them. They're not to take room in my vessel. Like that fallen version, that 2.0 that, that, that we became by being poisoned by the fall, that was susceptible to all that, I'm not one of those anymore. I was actually crucified with him. You know, my old self died and now I'm alive in him. And guess what? He's alive in me. And this is the fellowship, the koinonia of God. It's inseparable what he's done. When he said it is finished, that's what he meant. 
and he said that concerning you and how he views you, that means like it's actually settled. I officially see you this way as pure and holy before me. Like, well, yeah, you don't know, you don't know me. It's like, yes, I'm all knowing. You obviously don't know what I've done. It's settled. You know, repentance is like, it's not do this and then you'll be inside the house. Then you'll be in my family. Then I'll accept you. Then you'll be clean. You know what I mean? That's, that's the way it's been taught. Repentance is, hey, you're already forgiven and accepted. Time to have a mind change. And the kindness of God is what leads to that change, to that transformation. We don't see liberty as, as, as a reason to sin, Galatians 5. We actually see it as a reason to walk in the Spirit and manifest God everywhere we go. And it's so profoundly simple, but every time you talk about it, it like makes people's brains hurt that have been raised in the religious system because it's so contrary to the poison that we've all inherited through the lineage of the fall. And baptism, man, like you have, you have all this symbolism, like, you know, when, when Egypt held Israel as the slaves, right? And Moses shows up and he's unleashing the power of God on Egypt. And finally, after several plagues, they're released to go into the wilderness. Then Pharaoh has a change of mind and says, you know what? Change of mind. Let's go kill them all. They're back. Is there a double for that? Just one? It's like, man, yeah. It's like, what if you do that one day and just chops my podium in half? Like, whoa. Like, man, the power that comes out of the prayer warriors there. You know, okay, sorry. I'm still somewhat immature, but I have fun. Righteous peace and joy, aspects of the kingdom. And joy is, is the main one. Um, so whatever I was talking about there had to do with the first baptism was the Red Sea. Their backs were against the wall. Boom, the Red Sea parts. All of Israel, the, the prince, son of God, Israel itself, the name crosses over and the enemy is swallowed up so all of the enemy all of the old identity says you're a slave to me to this world boom swallowed yes. baptism yes. by god what did they do like they just were about to get killed and just were like oh, oh look there's a new way out the second baptism was the jordan river right that's when they're they're officially ready as a people to go into the promised land all of the unbelief of the old order had passed away and it was time for them to take take what we understand now is heaven on earth it's not a geographic location it's like heaven on earth here and now the kingdom of heaven and what happened again the Jordan River backed all the way up to a city called Adam literally called Adam just like our sins were backed up all the way to where Adam transgressed it's in the book of Joshua yeah I mean it's just it's too perfect and they walked across the Jordan River on dry ground and they went and started wrecking Jericho and, the, and stepping into the promised land. You know? And Jer Jericho, Jordan, that's, the, that's, that's, a, that's another baptism. It's, it's what we know as the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But in Christianity, I don't believe that it's supposed to be too. Christian there is no such thing as Christ a version of Christianity that is not spirit-filled Christianity. Everyone's like, well, I disagree. It's like, no, 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 like that. I'm not, I'm not saying there's not some that call themselves that, but that's just not real. That's not the same game. It's not the same sport. We don't play in the same arena. It's not the same thing, you know? It's like the baptism of the Spirit and the baptism of forgiveness, all this happens. This is done by the Lord Jesus at the cross. He's given us this to walk into this, you know? 
And so now we're, we're baptized, we're cleansed, we're, we're, you know, we're delivered from that old identity of being slaves into the newness of this life. We're walking in the Spirit, sometimes in the wilderness of this life, and being empowered by Him in the gifts of the Spirit and, and His life within us to actually let heaven reign and be released in the world. And all of this from this immersion that happened that symbolized what Jesus was going to do for us. And Jesus comes and actually gets baptized by his cousin John in that same river, the Jordan. You know what I mean? And we see the dove fall upon him. We see this thing happen as him as the firstborn, like God in the flesh is walking this to show us how to walk. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. The Son does what the Father does. These are all his words for us to see him and understand that's what I'm supposed to do. And this baptism, this symbolism, because John, John understood it. He's, he's not going to baptize you like I... He's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Like, he's, like this whole thing is different than what y'all think. And this is Christianity. And so it's so profoundly simple what we walk into this, into this life is walking in this relationship with God and everywhere we go releasing heaven. And I think last week, um, you know, we really touched on something that thwarts a lot of people from, from carrying through or following through or stepping into the fullness of our inheritance. And that it kind of starts as like wounds and pain and stuff like this. But then it becomes something more, and it's, it's offense. And I've seen it cause, cause so many people, just even in, in my life and in the past 20 years that I've been walking this walk, that it causes so many people to actually check out and step off of the path of God. And so I was thinking about this stuff, and I was thinking about the story that I think is absolutely hilarious in 2 Kings 5. And I've done it, it's probably five, six months ago, but it felt so perfect. And even having that dream where I thought like, wow, it's just so incredibly simple. I wanted to go and look at this Old Testament story for maybe like five to 10 minutes before we, before we wrap up and just kind of look at this process of walking with God whose spirit, whose voice leads us into all truth, understanding that he's the good shepherd and he's bringing us into a place of maturity, not just so that we're mature and we're impressive to each other, but that we're fruitful in everything we do in this life and in the world, and, and in hopefully that we take this city over for the kingdom of heaven. But that's just kind of, you know, that's just there. So the story's in 2 Kings 5, right? And I'll probably cliff note some of it. You can go back and read it, but I will, I, I will, I will surely hit much of the good parts. But it is a prophetic story that's a real story and that really did happen, but it's like what it says in like Romans 15 and I believe 1 Corinthians 10 says the same thing, that these things were written for us. These are all parallels. And I think we'll see some of our life and, and, and maybe take out some very profound things um, from this story that we, can, that we can implement. But it's the story about this guy named Naaman, right? He was a commander um, of, the, of the army of the king of, the Sy of Syria. And Syria and Israel did not get along. Syria was a little bit bigger, a little bit more powerful. They had a lot of beef. They were always fighting back and forth. But something happened to Naaman that these days doesn't really happen to people because it's treatable now. But back then, was, it was a complete and total death sentence, right? Naaman became a leper. He got leprosy, right? And leprosy, if you know, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's lethal. People, everyone that got it would die from it. It was irreversible. But it, their body would, parts would fall off, whether it was a nose, a hand. You know, their body would start literally rotting and falling off. And that's kind of what that is, but that's, you know, 
the rated R version of today. The rest will be back to PG-13 probably. But, um, um, you know, they had gone out in raids and, and God had planted a mole in their house and it was this young girl from the land of Israel and she waited on Naaman's wife. So there was this young girl who was a servant who was a Jew that had been kidnapped, but they were using her as the servant of Naaman's wife because he was a big high roller and the commander of the army. And so she was kind of a mole in the house. And we could see her as a victim, you know. But in reality, God allowed her to be placed in this point of her life in such a strategic place. And that's a beautiful thing for all of us as Christians. We can be effective wherever we're at. But um, anyhow, so she's, she's, she's serving at their house and, 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 and doing all this stuff. And Anyways, he has, he has leprosy. And this girl just puts, I don't want to say put a bug in his ear, but it's, it's just a saying. Um, but she says something. It's like, if only my master were with the prophet who's in Samaria, talking about this great prophet of the Lord. Somebody had the connection to God named Elisha. If only he could connect to Elisha, he would heal him of his leprosy. And no one's heard of this in those days. There's a guy there that can cure that. Like with what? Like he's a prophet. So he's connected to God and he can actually cure leprosy. A different God than the Syrians serve. So the wife obviously tells him. Then Naaman goes and actually tells the king, hey, listen, I need help. So the king of Syria says, go, I'll send a letter to the king of Israel. So he took with him uh, 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, 10 changes of clothing. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel. It said, be advised when this letter comes to you that I have sent Naaman my servant to you that you may heal him of Zephyr. So here are two kings that, that have it out for each other. One of them is a good bit more powerful, the Syrian king, sending a letter to the other king and it almost seems like an opportunity for a truce. Hey, I'm sending you this guy. I'm sending you hundreds of thousands of dollars or whatever, the, you know, what it would convert to now. Um, all these things. He's the captain of our army. I hear there's somebody there that can, that can do something, that's connected to God in such a way that he can do something about this. So it's like, wow, that's, to us, right now here in the story, that's a pretty cool opportunity. The, um, the king didn't see it that way. He started to freak out. He said, oh my gosh, it's a trap. He literally goes and says, he's, he's just telling me to do something impossible so that he, when I can't do it, he's going to come kill us. They're, they're looking for a reason to come attack us, and now they're going to have one. They're making one up. This is a trap. You know, He's just basically a coward because he doesn't know God, and, and he was pretty corrupt. But Elisha actually gets wind of it, and he tells the king, why have you torn your clothes? Like, he was already in mourning. We're done. Like, this is an opportunity. Let him come to me. And he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. There's a God who actually talks that's real and alive. That's not demonic and has power over these things in the world. So Naaman gets word of it. I guess the, had a change of mind, deliberated with the council, said, okay, so okay, so this, is, this, is where, this is where Elisha's at. Gives him his place. Elisha's one of my favorite characters, if you just look at his life. He's just a, kind of a nutball, but he's just incredible. I mean, there's not enough talked about him. But, um, so here's the, here's the main part of the, part of the story, which is just, this is hilarious. Naaman comes to where Elisha lives. And I don't know, there's some sort of gate or wall around the property where he lives. Elisha was, um, he was very successful. 
His family was wealthy. You know what I mean? He was, he's not what we think. He's not like Elijah, you know, that's living by, by the ravens and stuff like that. When Elijah found Elisha, he was plowing with, um, I think, two yoke of oxen. So it was like more than like any of the John Deere's in Texas. Like they were all like all yoked up. These oxen that usually it's just one. He had like, he had like pairs of them. It's just like, what are you trying to move? A pyramid or something? Like he was, he was doing innovative and crazy things if you look back at the story. I know I'm getting off. All right, so listen. But it's really interesting the way this guy was. He was just like ahead of the game, man. And he didn't live in the capital or whatever. He, he still liked to live where he lived, which I think is just great. Anyhow, sorry, a little bit of me in there, but I just think it's cool. But So anyhow, so when he gets to his property, to the wall that's around his house or whatever... He gets there, and he's got all this money, and he's got all this clout, all this power. He's like, you know, we're, we're better than y'all. But he's, he's kind of submitting to the process here. And, um, but when he gets to the house, instead of going out to meet him, it says, Elisha sent a messenger to him saying, go wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh is going to be restored to you, and you'll be clean. In verse 11, it says, but Naaman became furious. And he went away and he said, Indeed, I said to myself, Surely he's going to come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and heal the leprosy. Are not the rivers of Damascus better than all the water of Israel? Couldn't I just wash in them? Wash seven times? You're going to tell me to do something stupid like that? It says, So he turned away and he went in a rage. It flipped Naming out, and I love watching it like a movie. Then his servants, the people that were with him, actually came near to him and said, Hey, if the prophet would have told you something great, wouldn't you have done it? If he would have been like, There's this place called Olivet, it's the Mount of Olives, go up there, journey and you know, take an olive from the tree and squeeze it on your, you know what I mean? It's like it wasn't spiritual enough, it wasn't supernatural. I want a sign. He wanted the signs and the wonder. He wanted the, he wanted the show. He wanted the fanfare. This is the charismatic divide too, as well, right now. A lot of times, like the New Testament Christianity, it's, it's, not, it's not enough, and it's not quick enough. Okay, sorry. All right. So he went down. He's like, wouldn't you have done it if it was something great? How much more if he just says, wash and be clean? In other words, like, hey, you're about to die in a little while. What do you, what do you have to lose? Like, it's ridiculous. Try it. So he went down to the Jordan and he dipped seven times in the Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God. And his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child and he was clean. Came back looking like Botox and, uh, you know, collagen. He came back just, just smoothed up, you know what I mean? Like a baby. They're like, what? Name him. You know, you ever see something real old and they look real young? Me neither, but that'd be why. I'd be like, whoa, maybe that's just a little much. But, you know, it's like, it worked. And there's more to the story. But when I was looking at this, even talking about forgiveness and the power of it, all the things Jesus said, like we said, you know, John, you know, or was it Luke 17 last week of like, hey, like, if your brother sins against you seven times, what's that number? What's that about? Seven times in a day and comes back, you shall forgive him every single time. They're like, you got to increase our faith. And it's like, I don't got to increase your faith. Faith is a small little mustard seed can do miraculous things. Faith is not your problem. Authority, because there's unforgiveness in your hearts. Yeah. 
There's something to the full walk of the Lord Jesus that is a disciplined walk. It's a full-time thing. It's not just a fixed, fix me quick in a prayer line. It's a full-time thing that we walk until we're so one with Him, even in our minds, that we manifest His life throughout our whole vessel. You know what I mean? Our Father, Your kingdom come, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Oh, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. It's like, huh? Like, wait a second. It's like there's something to maintaining an unoffended, unwounded heart through forgiveness, through the knowledge of what it means to release pain by forgiving those who've harmed and ask God to bring the wholeness there. That causes us to be the vessels we're called to be. Not vessels of Adam, which have holes in them and are susceptible to the things of the fall. Are you saying that we should never get sick for the rest of our life? You know, I am saying that. Yeah, actually I am. What I'm saying, it's a process. I'm not saying we're there, but I'm saying Jesus has laid something out. The Apostle Paul has laid it out. Jesus told me how to do communion, he said. He visited me and showed me, and he, and, and he tells, don't do it without reverence. Like, it's just a ritual. Like, the reason some people sleep prematurely, they, they die prematurely, they're sick and they're weak, is because they don't have the reverence of what this is actually about. Christianity is about the reversal of the fall. Koinonia, fellowship. It's not our Christian club. We've got to sing our three songs and act with Christianese and all these things. You know, it's like, it's like that was funny. Christ, fellowship in Christianity, man. It's like holding each other to accountable that you ability that you want that holds us to that reality. This is what we're pursuing together. Can two or three walk unless they're agreed? No. It's like, it's like holding people to the standard of what Jesus has actually paid for. And it goes by a thought-by-thought thought basis. If there's something, it's like for, for, for Naaman, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just like he, went to the, he wanted to go to the healing meeting and he wanted the man of God to give him attention. I want the man of God to pray for me. I want him. And it's like, I, I thought for sure he would come and stand up. Sounds like Elisha didn't even stand up. He might have seen him from a distance and he was sitting with his back and he's telling him, he's praying dominoes or something. He's like, yeah, just go tell him to watch seven times. You know what I mean? He's like, and he's like, well, who's this? Is this Elijah? Well, no, that was him. But he told me just to go da 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 da. And he's like, what? He didn't stand up? Do you know who I am? Don't you know? Ah! Ah! You? Some peasant servant from Israel? We're above y'all anyways. You know what I mean? I want an audience with him. You know? How many things do people miss out on because they don't accept the messengers of God? Jesus said this thing. You won't see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Are we talking about the return of Christ or are we talking about seeing God in other people? Yeah. B. Yeah. The second one. Yeah. Recognizing God in his vessels. You know? The fellowship, the koinonia. You know what I mean? It's like it wasn't enough for him. I thought for sure we were going to have a healing meeting. They didn't play three songs. They only played two songs. I didn't feel the spirit. I wasn't dancing about that. I didn't, you know, God wasn't even shouting. He just prayed for me and walked off. It's like it wasn't enough. You know what I mean? It's weird. Yeah. Ego. Ego makes room for offense. Because pride and fear are the same thing. And they build something called the ego. But ego causes people to be disconnected from one another. Some people are so dominant in life that they have to be on top, they have no relationships. None. 
because there's no transparency, there's no vulnerability there. Like, so they, don't, they never enter into it. Only relationships they will ever have are just like trades. It's just network stuff. Like, you give me this, I give you this. Even with spouse, you can have like, you give me my knees, I'll give you your knees, we're going to be cool. You know what I mean? It's like, that's all it ever is. There's no industry. There's no, there's no koinonia. There's no fellowship. You know what I mean? But fellowship breeds and causes growth because the blood flow of the son actually flows through the sons and daughters. They're con- being conformed to that image together. The iron sharpens the iron. It's not like, well, sometimes we disagree and we fight. Christian brothers, you know what I mean? Like, this isn't like men's breakfast at the redneck church. I'm talking about walking in the spirit, walking in Christianity. You know what I mean? It's a fellowship that's agreed in the wholeness of what the New Testament looks like. Yeah. Another thing, it, it didn't happen instantly. We're Americans, we want things quick. Well, why I got to do it seven times then? I got to do it seven times? One? I mean, with somebody with that, that ticked off. Let's watch this like a movie. Somebody says that mad. It says he flew into a rage because he said to go do it seven times. Every time he dunked himself under and stood up, what do you think his face looked like? Those first couple dunks. <laughs> Stupid. <sighs> Can't believe I'm doing this crap. You know what I mean? Seven times in a row until that, till that collagen, till that Botox, till that room, till whatever body part it was, was like, whoa. Whoa. This is real. And, 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 and it's just like, that's another thing about Christianity, man. So many times it is a practical process that we walk out. We want like, no, like just, just, just declare it and just be, you know what I mean? Ha, you know what I mean? That's another charismatic divide. It's like, no, like so many things we walk in, it's a process. What's, you know, 2 Corinthians 10 is like, I don't, I don't like flipping so hard up here, but taking every thought captive. And so if that's even written for us, then that means in this walk and in this being, as, as the Bible says, being renewed in our mind and being transformed by the renewal of our mind, right, in Romans? It means that, like, there's a process where we're, there's a grace to not have it all right now and not to feel condemned like we're condemned if we make a mistake, but never to let our mistakes cause us to feel that the connection is gone between us and God to use those things to connect God. This thing came out of me. I flipped a trigger. Lord, I don't know why, but I know that's not in you, and so I know that it's not in me because you've shown me who I am. And see, 2 Corinthians 10.5 says, like, the, the, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal but mighty for pulling down strongholds. It's like this power that we have to actually transform the world, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. It's like every single thing, even that we manifest, or even the doubts and unbeliefs and the fears that we're projecting, even in our minds, there is a practical walking out of knowing Him and taking things captive that come up as contrary to what He has said and done and and paid for and submitting those things to the obedience of who Jesus is that cause us to be transformed. It's brilliant. It's taken so much pressure off me in, 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 in my life to know that it's like the rea- when you realize that you're failing and you shouldn't be in certain ways, attitudes, thoughts, or whatever, 
the fact that you realize shows that your heart is transforming and is changing. But there's understanding and things that we can get from our from the Lord in this walk. Because the sevenfold, the, the seven baptism, like this is what it looks like to be baptized with the Spirit of God. John said it in John 3, like he doesn't give the Spirit by measure. In Revelations 3, uh, verse 1, Jesus said, I am I'm the one with the seven spirits of God. You know? And sometimes your Bible will say, I am the one with the sevenfold spirit of God. And sometimes the older Bibles will just like, this, this just means the Holy Spirit in the bottom. Just like, don't get confused, you know what I mean? But it's written there for a reason. Because the seven spirits of God are the sevenfold spirits. And even the Jews knew, like in Isaiah 11 too, it talks about Jesus, the Messiah, the root of David was going to come. And the spirit of the Lord would be upon him. And that's number one. And the spirit of wisdom and understanding two and three, and counsel and might, and of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. That's Isaiah 11, uh, 2. And it, and it names these sevenfold or seven attributes of the Holy Spirit that was going to be on this Messiah, in, in this Messiah. And so when we see these parables and these analogies like seven, seven wounds and seven offenses that are taking room in your heart in Luke 17, or we're seeing like Naaman saying, hey, like this is a process, be dipped seven times in the Jordan River, the place we know as the Holy Spirit baptism of empowerment, seven times. It's something that's very specific and it's talking about be fully immersed in everything that God is. He is, he is the person of the Lord Jesus. He is wisdom, he is understanding, he is counsel, might, he's knowledge, the fear of the Lord, which is a beautiful thing. It's his delight. It's not, it's not what's been made. But it's just like the reality of everything who God is. That song they just sang, everything you are is everything who I am and everything I want to be. I'm created in your image. I keep doing this dip, y'all. I know it's really strange, but I'm doing a baptism in my, in my mind. You know what I mean? So that's just that. That's what's going on there. I need to stop all that. But that's why we don't stream. Everyone asks us, will you stream your stuff live? No, I do stupid stuff. I don't, wanna, I don't like cameras like that anyways. But the thing is, this, this process with Naaman, luckily he stuck through it. But if you look back at it, you see that his offense was so crazy. It's like, well, I wanted to be healed by Elijah, but he just sent some servant to talk to me. Didn't respect me enough to come to the door, so I just left. I'm not messing with any of it. And it's just like, you're like, whoa. Like there's somebody getting offended and having an ego and, not want, and wanting it to happen fast or, you know, all these different things. Like, you really are going to, Step out of the simplicity of how simple this cure is of becoming fully consumed by and with God, the true baptism of Christianity. It's like, yo, dude, like you, you're, you're on the road to death and suffering and you're susceptible to things of the fall that you don't have to be. <laughs> you know what I mean? If you just walk this simple path that God's laid out for you in connection to him because of what he's done. And you see somebody that almost was close to just, I'm going to take, you know, say you take your ball and go home, I'll take my leprosy and go home with my leprosy and just die from it. But it's crazy how offense is and how it justifies things in our mind. And this is what, even kind of coming like last week, when something is unhealed and there's pain in our hearts from relationships and things in, in our life in the past, sometimes there is a process where the Lord allows those things to come up in our minds. He allows memories and relationships to come up while you're at work, while you're mowing the grass, while you're doing whatever you're doing. Triggers, smells, music um, that remind you of pain in the past that you can still feel. And so many times that is the Lord allowing you 
to feel something that doesn't belong within your vessel. Yeah. And just like he was training his disciples, just like some of what Naaman was finding out, it's like unhealed wounds and pain, they become offense that cause us to be, uh, the best way to say this, just kind of dumb to how beautiful and brilliant and simple everything Jesus has actually paid for us to step into. And we can push our plate away of the abundance that God wants to actually put in front of us just because, well, I don't care. And it's like, yo, you're hurting your own self by holding that and not entering into everything he wants to put on your plate. And it seems like really dumb and like kind of crazy, like Naaman, and we laugh about it, but that's what offense actually does to people. It makes them feel justified in like self-sabotaging their own selves. And, and, and leprosy, spiritual leprosy, leprosy is where your body parts fall off. It is, it is the exact opposite of connection. You know what I mean? And like spiritual leprosy is that. It's isolation. It's not entering into the relationships that actually God has for you. It could be even in your own family. You know what I mean? It's a complete disconnect. They disconnect themselves from the body, you know. You, King Uzziah, and, uh, you know, Isaiah 6 talks about him, references his Second Chronicles story in Second Chronicles 26. It's like he's a great example of that. But when he was moved out of the way, the glory of, the, of God filled up that temple. But, you know, it's just one of those things, man. It's just like we've been given in this new covenant the practical outwalking of becoming fully and completely whole and even untouchable to those things which come through the fall, the death itself, you know? And um, I wanted to bring that to a reminder, even closing up. It's just like, if, and I remember, I've talked to people and I've been this person before, where those things will come up in your heart and you, and you release forgiveness to them, um, but then they come in, something comes up the next day or next week and you're like, oh, well, I thought I did, well, I already did, you know, it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. It's like every time something manifests in the heart concerning pain. You know what I mean? We continually release forgiveness. I forgive this person. They do not know. And we ask, Lord, would you feel me and heal me of that place where that pain took place? And sometimes that walk is a process. Then you'll come to find, whether it's a, a day, a week, a year, after that stuff comes up without digging into it, like the Lord bringing things up, You'll come to the place where those people or those wounds or those pains that come up in your heart, when those memories of that person come up, you'll feel nothing. And you might actually love the person. And then you have Jesus talking about love your enemy. When you're at that place, you're at the place of power. You know, Because then you see no man according to the flesh. If you get to the place where we love our own enemies and those who have harmed us because we understand, we release forgiveness, we've been healed there, dude... That is the place, that is the place of power. Those are the sons and daughters of God that all of creation in Romans 8 is actually groaning for, looking for, waiting for, to unlock creation itself from the things of the fall. But in order to be the vessels of that reality, we must take that reality in our own vessel. He's renewing our minds. He's cleansing our minds. He put a crown of thorns jabbed into his so that we could have his mind. They were the thoughts and cares of this world in the parable of the sower, those thorns. That's what they are. They're the thoughts and cares of this world. They're the, they're the mind of the matrix, man. He was crucified on a hill called Golgotha on a skull. 
so that we can lose the mind of this world and actually see like him. And Naaman could have come to that understanding connecting to God and be like, oh my gosh, that's all I got to do? No ego, no wound, no, you know, and it's boom. Just, you know what I mean? It's like, because the ways of the spirit are so often so very different than the ways of the world. There's no surgical procedure. There's no, no, there's not. There's, there's the procedure of being immersed in God fully in every aspect of our life. Yeah. And he's bringing us as Christians into this reality. You know, he's bringing us into this, this place because then even the unbelievers, they'll want what we have. They're, they're supposed to. And Naaman wanted what Israel have, had. He came back after he got healed. You can read the rest of the story. And he's like, I officially want to serve Yahweh, the God of Israel. Like he changed teams. He took a, a large like sack or bag or something full of dirt from Israel so that he could dump it out where he lived so that he would be under the God of Israel. Isn't that funny? He made his own little sandbox to where he could step into it and be in Israel because the way they believed and the way they thought was like, you know, all the nations were under all the other gods. And so you read that, and then Michael Heiser people will read that as well. But it's like, he, he was like, I'm in alignment here. You know what I mean? And even ask for forgiveness. Hey, by the way, I got I to gotta help the king or I got to help somebody get into the, to worship their God. But I'm not really worshiping, just so you know. Like I said, we, we know. Take your, little, take your little sandbox. You're one of us now. You know what I mean? This time of year is always very important. It's, you know, it's, it's the Jewish New Year. It was like uh, ended on Monday night, but um, the Jews always have believed and believe for thousands of years that, that it's the, the brand new season and new year where God is sealing people's fates. They believe a lot of things that's whack about it too, but, but it was just like this, this new season of, of they have a time of repentance and all this stuff, Step, stepping into Yom Kippur, which is coming up soon, which is their most holy day. And, um, but even for us and stuff that they believed, like it's a time of assessment of life that's what they do they remember the year before and they try to take all the lessons that they've learned and grown in uh, but it's also a time of like realignment stepping into the new year and um so many times around this year i feel like it's just so true because it really is god's calendar that in this type of season the seasons are starting to change here in the, in, in the states where we live as well too which is really cool but it's like you know it's a time for like assessment in the goodness of god of letting your mind go into this place and may I'll close this with the, the assignment. It's like letting your mind go into this place of thanksgiving and look back at all the things the Lord's brought you through this year and that he's added to you this year, you know, with a heart of thanksgiving. And, and even realizing, hey, is there, is there a lot realignment in my thinking or in my mindsets? Or like you're bringing healing to situations that have been coming up and start to thank him for everything that he's doing. And you'll see that he truly is the God of hope of hope and a future and he's actually wanting to release us into something brilliant wonderful and and so many times they would believe they'd get their new assignments and they'd get their new directions for the year but um i think it works for us as well i mean it's 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 that biblical new year so it's always it's always good to to focus on the lord thank him for what he's doing but to actually be mindful and present and understanding of the process that he's got and write those things down and release the forgiveness everywhere you possibly can and accept the healing that's already there walk through that stuff because he's bringing us into maturity he's not playing around you know what i mean he's wanting to take over he's wanting to take over. well he is no it's like listen he's wanting to implement heaven through us that's what we're doing here
That's what our church is about. It's not a club. You know what I mean? Like, that's what this thing is about. And that's what real Christianity is about. So, 